0: I'm Tara. Hi, I'm Michelle. Welcome back to Books and Beyond with Bound where we talk to some of the finest writers in India and find out what makes them tick.
1: Yeah, and on this episode, we spoke to Clyde D'Souza, who's the author of Sushigat, The Goan Art of Contentment. And what does Sushegat mean? It means how to practice contentment in our everyday
0: life. I think we really need that right now, right, Michelle? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And you know, he showed us a completely different side of Goa, which is away from the beaches and into the villages, and this great mix of cultures, Portuguese and Goan. And there's so, so many anecdotes about village life.
1: Yeah, and I especially love the one about his aunt getting a coconut plucker to pluck 500 coconuts in 20 minutes. That was
0: was so funny. And then also he talks about, you know, all the festivals that Goa has. And the one that I really loved was the festival of plants and flowers. It was so cute. And Michelle, you know, I love history books and this book was so entertaining and fun because it not only had information, but it had these fun short stories. It had recipes, doodles. And so it was really unlike any nonfiction book I've read. Uh, I know I say that about all the books that we that we read, but they're all so unique and that's what's so special. And you know, if, uh, you know, all of you guys, you know, whoever's a writer and if you want to write a great book. Uh, and you're looking for an editor, look no further because we at Bound offer editorial services and you can always reach out to us and we can figure out how we can work together. So reach out to us at connectboundindia.com if you want to know more about that. My favorite book that I recently edited in nonfiction is Jobonomics by Gautam Das. Uh, so
1: do check that out as well. Yeah, and coming back to our episode, tune in to find out how Clyde wrote this entertaining nonfiction book. And he actually shared his secret recipe with us. So tune in. Welcome to Books and
0: Beyond. Uh, today we have with us Clyde D'Souza who is the author of Susegad, The Goan Art of Contentment. Welcome, Clyde.
2: Thank you, Tara. And Michelle, very happy to be here.
0: So I actually, I have a house in Goa. So I spend a considerable amount of my time in Goa. Um, And Goa is also where I started Bounds, First Writers Retreat. So for me, I really uh, love the book because, you know, uh, it just showed a completely different side of Goa, which... You know, I've also been exploring, uh, you know, in the last couple of years and I have a lot of fond memories. So this book was
1: absolutely eye opening. Yes. Um, so I'm a Mangalorean and I speak Konkani and you know, I've been around Goans all my life. So it was wonderful to read about the culture and the origin of Konkani, because honestly, even I don't know. But this book really made me understand my roots.
0: So could you tell us a little bit about how this book came about and maybe can you pick one village way of life to share with our listeners?
2: So that's like a, that's like a loaded question and I have a, I have a straightforward answer and I have a cheesy answer. So I'll give both of them. Okay. (laughs) Yeah. So so the, the, the straightforward answer is serendipity. Okay. Uh, Which is also a bit cheesy. And the really cheesy answer is the universe. Uh, The serendipity bit is basically my editor at Penguin, Roshni Dadlani, she uh, called me out of the blue. This was last year, actually, probably around the same time, probably around this month, maybe. Uh, And she said that she had this uh, concept in mind about something around Goa and all of that and how can we explore the culture and the music the history and and its way of life you know and the words to say god so can you explore that can you take that forward and i said wow yeah i mean you know i'm a happy Goan, a proud Goan, uh Uh, Goan who loves Goa and yeah, I can give it a shot. So that was the the, the serendipity part of it. And the universe talking to me was basically, uh, obviously, I've always, uh, you know, been to Goa, I've uh, gone to my ancestral house, I've spent many summer vacations over there. I keep going back there as a teen as an adult. And many years ago, I think maybe 20 years ago, probably just fresh out of college, uh, I just took this handy cam. uh, And on one of our summer trips in may to goa uh, going to my uncle's uh, you know ancestral home in kamulli which is really the uh, the interior of goa where there are, there are no there's no beach, there's no tourists, there's nothing, it's still the back of beyond. Uh, we just did this documentary where I filmed my little cousin uh, enjoying his summer vacation and we covered everything from a boat ride on the river to going to a feni bar where there's this old auntie who's pouring feni from her gallons and uh and I just put that documentary out there and I don't think anybody's seen it uh and now you know 20 years later somebody asked me to write a book on it so that was like you know just the universe kind of conspiring and that's how it kind of came about in in two manners
0: you never know you know how things just come together that's so fantastic so, yeah, could you tell us a little bit about, you know, the village life that you're trying to
2: capture? Uh, when we when we come across Goa, we come across Goa in terms of its touristy uh, aspect, right? I'm talking about not the people who live in Goa, obviously, but the people who visit Goa on and off. Um, their interfacing with Goa is basically the beach and the parties and the clubs uh, and all of that that we have all seen and we, of course, love. Uh, the village part of it is, of course, things which are still done in uh, the way they used to be done 100 years ago and by that I mean that people still have a well bath in the villages they still basically get their uh, staple vegetables from the backyard whether it's uh, simple things like coconuts or drumsticks and cooking with drumstick leaves or basically uh, going and plucking the mangoes from their tree like I was just in Goa about two weeks back and uh, my aunt basically got the coconut plucker to pluck coconuts and in about 20 minutes he had 500 coconuts in the front yard you know and that's something that none of us see right so that's a little bit of the the village style of Goa which still exists of course like every other city it's it's developing and some of those old ways are going Uh, but uh, stubborn as Goans can be they still like their you know their slightly old traditional ways which we can hope that they kind of you know still preserve
1: That's that's amazing. I mean, you know, that took me back uh, to my uh, childhood days when my father used to narrate anecdotes from his life in Mangalore. And I always used to Mm. wonder like, oh my God, why are we indoors? Why are we children just staring at the screen? Whereas we should be outdoors, you know, climbing trees, you know, swimming in, you know, wild waters. But what your book, uh, you know, brought alive was how, you know, this is contemporary. It's not like it's a lost time. It still Mm. exists. And it's just that it's not being noticed by people. Right? Yeah. So, you know, as a Mangalorean, Clyde, I have been quite hmm. familiar with the term Suseghar. And honestly, uh, you know, we think of it as laid back, right? And you have addressed yeah. that in your book. You yes. know, your book took a positive spin to that. And that was really eye-opening for me. So, you know, for our listeners who don't know the meaning of the word, can you tell us, you know, the easiest explanation of the word? And why did you title the book that way?
2: Uh, Well, Sushigad, Uh, yes, as we all Goans, a lot of Mangolrians, and people who are familiar with Konkani language know susegad as this very laid-back, chilled-out, almost lazy kind of uh, term, right? When actually susegad uh, means peace or uh, quiet, right? Or at being at peace with oneself, you know. So as I've said in the book, there's this phrase that is used where which a lot of older uh, Goans use called "maka susegdi." Yeah, "maka susegdi" means "give me peace." Right, and in today's world, I think that's about that piece is about finding some sort of uh, contentment, some sort of balance with the way things are in your life, uh, you know, and making peace with it, making peace with uh, with whatever is happening in your life, in internal situations, external situations, and uh, funnily, uh, this all seems to make a lot more sense this year, right? And by this year, I mean like from twenty 2020 twenty to twenty twenty one. And now we're seeing season two of it, (laughs) which is the pandemic, right? Um, Prior to that, I guess all of us were kind of just going about our lives without much self-awareness or, you know, being conscious about things. Uh, But the whole pandemic has brought that into complete uh, focus where we are, you know, we have to confront uh, all the demons, whether they are internal or external. And uh, thanks to the pandemic, which I also dub as Thanos, we have been, you know, um, we have been kind of uh, pushed to confront everything and find some sort of balance and contentment in our own lives. And I think that's the kind of Susegad uh, that I have tried to bring about uh, in the book. And uh, that's through ways of uh, things that we can do on our own, whether it's uh, eating or music or even yoga or meditation or even fun things like dancing and singing you know, which a lot of goans seem to uh, have been doing for centuries and they, some of them continue to do that.
1: And why the title of the book, like? Right?
2: The title of the book is We Wanted a Goan Term, okay, which kind of uh, encapsulates everything that we wanted to uh, put out there. Okay, so like they've been, there are lots of books on, on this in the world. Like there's the Ikigai, which is the Japanese concept of contentment or peace, right? Or balance, rather. There is the Swedish way of uh, uh, being at peace, which is called Luka. I think it's pronounced Luka. It's written as L-Y-K-K-E, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, then there is the Danish way of contentment, which is called uh, the Huga, which is H-Y-G-G-E. Right. So these are all uh, terms which, which uh, in, in the, their own local languages, they encapsulate what contentment or balance or peace is. So Goans and Konkani have this term. Uh, which is which comes from the Portuguese word "sossegado," right? Uh, so we thought this is a great word. It's been used a lot. Uh, it's it has local roots. It has Portuguese roots, and um, it uh, will convey convey everything that we want to convey. About peace and and that's, that's
0: very smart, actually. So, yeah. And, uh, you know, I'm so happy because it, it will sort of, you know, this way of life and this way of thinking will become more mainstream. Right. But also, you know, uh, what Michelle and I really liked about the book is every single page had something new. Uh, You know, we learned so many things in the book, which we would never have known otherwise, you know, like, for example, you speak about how, you know, um, the Alfonso mango, which, you know, we all uh, love to eat is actually Mm. it was named after the Duke uh, Duke of Goa, you know, Um, and and so many other facts, I think, you know, 7000 bars and all of these different things. Uh, so what did you learn? You know, I'm sure you, you, you knew a lot of this before, but what did you learn while researching for the book that you didn't know before? And what was your process?
2: Not only did you guys, I mean, my readers, all the readers who have been reading the book, learn from it. Honestly, I learned a lot from it. <laughs> so, so while the book is being described as a self-help book, for me, it was a self-happy book. Okay. Cause I mean, what better thing? to do then to kind of uh, research or learn about this uh, place that you've loved, you've grown up going to so many times. So the various things that I learned, I mean, I learned like lots of things, like especially like even like you mentioned, the mangoes, then being so many different varieties of mangoes, or the fact that there are so many rivers and there's a whole network of rivers. And why... Goans love fish curry is because there were so many rivers that, you know, kind of are a network of transport within Goa. They also are supplying the water to the fields. Then what else did I learn about the ferry system? The fact that it's free to everyone. Okay, so you can just, you know, hop onto a ferry and it's free. It's provided by the government. Uh, Then there's this entire uh, tradition of Purumenth. So Purumenth is basically uh, stocking. Stocking of food. So as we know, all Goans, they love their fish curry, right? But in the monsoon, they do not allow uh, you to, you know, go out into the waters and fish because that's also the breeding season. So they allow the fish to breed so that fish will be available after the monsoons. So ban it's uh, so fishing is banned during the monsoon season. So what Goans do is in this these two months, especially now, April and May, they stock up all the things that they love. So, and the way they stock it up is by drying it, pickling it, salting it. So you'll see a lot of homes, you know, with uh, drying their bangras, drying their prawns or pickling mangoes, you know. Uh, so that's another thing that 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 I learned about, which is this purument tradition of stocking food. So the next time you're eating, you know, some lovely mango pickle or salted prawn balchao, that's how they basically come about.
1: Yeah, completely different paradigm. Wow, that's, yeah, so amazing. <laughs> I think so I was, you know, uh, taken back uh, to a memory where my father, you know, had promised me that he would show me a woodpecker. And and I still remember throughout my journey in Mangalore I was on the lookout for a woodpecker, but sadly, <laughs> sadly, didn't spot one. But I think now that your book is out, Clyde, many people will actually go to the villages and probably that will become the next tourist destination. Who knows? <laughs> yeah
2: you find a lot of people now being more interested in the village life right mm. and and let's be honest i mean it is uncomfortable it is inconvenient and at the end of the day now we are all so accustomed right we are all just these concrete jungle animals uh, and we are accustomed to having our ac and you know uh, water on tap and everything on tap food on tap and everything you know like at at our fingertips village life of course is difficult what keeps a lot of i think you know the slow village life people Sega and kind of happy is that they tend to do a lot of things themselves right so uh while writing the book at the end i kind of touch upon this thing called uh, outsourcing versus insourcing so what we uh city people do is we have outsourced too many of our things right so we have it started by outsourcing let's say jadu pocha you know then it went to outsourcing bartan then it went to outsourcing uh, cooking of food and now we have reached a level where we've pretty much outsourced everything in, including cooking of food to driving to Everything is pretty much outsourced. So you're not really engaging yourself with anything, you know, and that's why I think maybe I don't know, it's, it's a theory, but maybe that's the reason why a lot of people are kind of unhappy or depressed or, you know, they kind of feel like there's something missing or they're just basically too idle to put it very uh, bluntly. It's just that they've outsourced so many things that there's nothing left to do, you know? Whereas uh, when you kind of engage with things, whether it's something as mundane as maybe cutting vegetables, uh, there's a sense of maybe accomplishment, achievement or even pastime, you know.
1: Yeah. And, and, you know, talking about city uh, folks, uh, you know, we know that you also live in Mumbai. What is your job like and how do you practice this Sushakat style, you know, amidst this, you know, rat race uh, of what goes on in Mumbai? Did you write the book in Bombay? Was it difficult to
0: get into the Susegaard sort of mind space when you were writing this book yeah. when you when you're in Bombay?
2: So I think the first step of Susegaard is being aware of everything that you do, whether it's how you eat your food to how you walk, to how you sit, uh, to how you consume, uh, how many, how many hours of binge watching you do. So it's the first part I think is being aware. So when I wrote this book, uh, yes, I'm in Mumbai and I do have a t- day job at a television channel called 9XM. So it's a very fast paced life. And for years, all of us, I mean, me included, have been living a very fast paced life. So it's not at all village like. Uh, and obviously, none of us can just, you know, uproot ourselves and live in villages. But we can kind of incorporate some of the Suzigad elements into our lives. So uh, to answer the first part is that where did I write the book? I, I wrote the book in uh, Mumbai. Um And I wrote it around sometime this time last year. So basically April, May, I think is when I was writing it. So I wrote it for about four months in Mumbai at my home. Uh, And it was at the peak of lockdown. So honestly, maybe if I didn't have the book and I was just working without any other distraction, I'd probably go mad. Uh, So the book was was, uh, therapeutic to me as well. And um, I wrote it over a period of four months and my process was basically... Uh, No matter what happens, uh, writer's block, writer's shock, whatever it is, whatever you want to call it, uh, write every day, write 500 words. Uh, So I did that, I think, uh, pretty diligently for about three to four months. That was the first draft of writing the book, Uh, you know, coming up with the structure uh, and all of that. And then incorporating, so so obviously when I was writing the book and I was learning about these different ways, whether it was food or music, I started incorporating that into my life. So whether it was cooking, uh, adding up my own masalas, trying to make my own masalas, getting masalas from my aunt, I started doing that uh, more regularly. Okay. Uh, the other thing I think I started doing is not something that I was doing for a large part of my life, but I think... Since last year, maybe even before writing the book, I started doing meditation and, and, you know, kind of exploring that. So that was one way that I incorporated uh, Sussigad into my life using apps like the Sam Harris Waking Up app or Headspace app or uh, trying yoga. So now for the last four months, I've been practicing yoga online uh, by myself, uh, you know, pretty much every day. So these are the ways that I've tried to incorporate Sussigad into my life uh dancing is something that i love doing so i've been now with the lockdown of course i can't do it in a group but last year i did that uh, with a group uh so you know just ways in which you can kind of uh, uh, be happy add these things yeah, yeah yeah be happy Be engaged with life you know, so those are the ways that, that I try to incorporate Sussigad into my life. Of course, I can't go on ferries living in Mumbai. I can't <laughs> yeah. climb a mango tea. No, but it's
0: just so important to, you know, have all of these things. Like for me, like my daily yoga practice, like really, really, you know, affects mm. the quality of life. So, and, and I'm Michelle is also a dancer. <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah. And, and for me, oh, uh, wow. you know, like taking a daily walk, you know, makes a big difference. I think that really helps, Um, you know, take away all the stress. And yeah, we, yeah. Are, we, I think we, you know, if we end up doing things that we love, no matter what it is, wherever we are in the world. And I think that's the motto of the book. You just, you know, do things that make you happy. And, you know, you you have mentioned in the book that you have visited Goa on vacations, right? When you were younger, and you've mentioned some of these memories, like, you know, plucking casuals to even waiting for a bus for like two hours just to go for grocery shopping. So we were curious, you know, what's your absolute favorite memory? And you know, that you would love to relive if you had another chance. Um, Could you, you know, narrate that for our listeners?
2: Oh my God! Okay, let me think about that. There are so many. (laughs) Uh, Okay, so so a memory that not only a memory but an experience that I continue to relive almost every year, and we've been doing this for I don't know how many years. But my uh, uncle and aunt are from Kamuli, which is a village in in the north of Goa, along if I'm not mistaken, it's along the Shapora River. Okay, Uh, it's like like a walking distance from the river, and it's this nice, sweet little house that they have, and there is this. Karwanda, this I know, there's this fruit called the karwanda, okay, uh, which grows. It's like the small little berries, okay, that that grow on this on this thorny uh, bush. I can't quite recall the English uh, name for the word karwanda, okay. But basically, every May is the church fest, the church feast of uh, Kamuli. Yeah, I've described this in my book as well. Uh, it's the Saint Rita uh, Church festival, okay, and every church in Goa has their their uh, church festival. Uh, so, in May, we go there, and uh, on the day of the feast, we pluck these karvandas in the in the in the afternoon, I think after lunch and it 's like super hot it 's super sweaty, and you know you 're sweating and it it's becomes our own little inid blighton type of adventure where we are going through this uh, thorny bushes to pluck karvandas and these karvanda growth is like you know thick and thorny, and there are red ants all over the place but but the, the family all of us kind of gather from. Uncles who are like 60 to us, to, to now the nephews and the nieces and the kids, uh, you know, they also take part in it. So that's an experience that I kind of, you know, look forward to almost every year. Uh, even though it's like really, really simple. I mean, we can kind of go and buy karondas from any, uh, from the n- nearby village. But 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 just plucking that gives us such a sense of joy. And, uh, you know, it's it's so different from the everyday things that we do. Uh, that that's a that's an experience that I absolutely love treasure and it's one of my most fondest uh, memories of of Guam and after that we kind of end that day with a well water bath you know so going to that well drawing the water out and having pouring water over our stupid heads and enjoying that <laughs> so it, it sounds really simple and rustic but it's it's uh, it's beautiful
0: I mean when thanks so much for sharing this because uh you know I've just I was just smiling throughout. It's so visual the way you described it. You know, when I was reading your book, I actually was, you know, I had a notebook besides me because all there were so many interesting facts and you know, recipes and uh you know so the book the structure of the book is really, really cool because it reads like a travelogue, it's you know, you describe it reads like a self-help book with the description of Susegard. There are interviews of famous Goan artists, there are recipes, uh, there are even short stories. So that is such a fascinating structure. So how did that structure come about and which part of it was the most fun?
2: The, the first thing I do when I, when I try to create anything, whether it's uh, in my day job or writing or whatever, is, is, is that I kind of try and think of myself as the person who's consuming it, right? So for me, nonfiction, while it, is, it can be very interesting... It's also quite dry, right? Nonfiction can, can tend to become dry because you're kind of just, uh, you know, not really, there's no story as such that, that you're weaving. So when I was writing the book, I thought, okay, I need to kind of, you know, add a lot more to this when I'm, when I'm creating the structure. So instead of just delving into the music, history, culture part of Goa, I thought, let's structure it in such a way where each chapter has of course the, the 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 backdrop of 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 that chapter which is let's say it's music then the backdrop of music the history of music and all of that but then i thought let's layer that with kind of adding interviews so you get a first hand account of people who are goans especially personalities famous personalities who have who live in goa who have been spending their lives in Goa and who have kind of used their Goan roots to to create something. So that was the interview part of the layer. Then I thought of adding uh, short stories to it. So then the short story part became the fiction part of it, which, which, you know, kind of brought out uh, the entire chapter came alive. So suppose, for example, in the chapter on Casa, which is home, uh, it it, it goes through a family's uh, story of how, They, everybody has ancestral homes in Goa and a lot of them are kind of leaving their ancestral homes behind and, and, uh, you know, migrating to other countries, which is okay. So, but this, this, then this story basically became, allowed me to kind of delve into the homes, the architecture of Goa. There's this beautiful, uh, which I didn't know about, uh, that a lot of the windows that you see in Goa have these translucent vertical stripes, you know. Uh, framed by uh, wooden wood with a, with a wooden frame so those that translucent uh, thing that you see uh, is basically a mother of pearl and a mother of the mother of pearl is basically the knacker, the the protective layer that surrounds a pearl i didn't know that okay so what what a lot of the old goan homes have the traditionally portuguese goans have is that they have this mother of pearl uh, part as as part of the window so it's transparent it's translucent it allows sunlight into the homes and of course now also looks aesthetically uh, pleasing from outside so the 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 short stories basically allowed me to 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 uh, to bring about these little historic parts but make it a lot more interesting so for example in the in the chapter on food jeon I have talked about a mango murder mystery. Over here, I I was allowed to kind of, you know, give the reader uh, an insight into Gohan's love for mangoes and how someone might even kill for a mango, right? (laughs) Then another layer that I added to the book in terms of structure is my doodles. Okay, so now I'm a self-taught, I wouldn't say a a great doodler, illustrator, whatever you want to call it. Uh,
1: But I started doing this hobby again, maybe two years back. Yeah, actually, you know, there was one of our questions, Like, Like the doodles were so refreshing. And then, you know, we went about and checked your Instagram profile. I mean, we love your doodles. And like I said, I'm no,
2: like, you know, you know, great artist or anything, but I thought like, instead of just putting down words, which I was always doing all my life as a writer, I thought that let me not use words and communicate emotions, right? Communicate a feeling, communicate an emotion, so the whole doodling thing came about and uh, it was, again, just something that it was a discipline for me as well to try and do a doodle every day. So I started, I think, about two years back and then the doodles sort of sort of, uh, sort of had a personality of their own. So I said, OK, I asked my editor, can I include the doodles as well? So every chapter has a doodle as well, which we know, which uh, which captures the mood of that chapter, right, or the short story of that chapter. So that was the third layer that I added. Uh, Then, of course, there's the recipes because, of course, how can you have a goan book when there's so much of eclectic food? I'm hoping to try out one of those
1: recipes soon. (laughs) yeah uh, may, may i recommend one Tara? Okay. so uh yeah. there, there is a goan uh dessert mentioned called bibing, uh-huh. yes. you know ka. yeah you mm. should have that <laughs> i mean i maybe on one of your sweet days but it's too sweet you know let me put a disclaimer but it's it's amazing okay <laughs>
2: yeah it's a sinful sinful des- dessert absolutely and it's it's one of my favorite desserts i mean uh, so yeah, the recipes, of course, also came about. I asked some of my aunts, I asked some of the people who I know to share some recipes with me. I asked the bartender who's also featured in the book to, to give me a fenny cocktail. So that's also part of it. So then it also becomes something that you can use, right? It's also functional. So the book structure basically is entertaining. It's functional. It's a bit of history. And like you, you said as well, that it's like a, you know, it's a all around kind of, uh, book, which which has all of these different elements to it.
0: Actually, you know, um, both Michelle and I, we help writers. Uh, so it's so interesting because we were talking today and both of us mentioned your book to our various, you know, clients that we work with <laughs> yeah. about, you know, how you yeah. can add in all these fun different layers to really hook the reader because every page is different, you know, whether it's a story or the doodle. Yeah.
1: Mm. And yeah. one of my favorite stories is a Cut which is about two Mm -hmm. brothers who are on the way to, you know, their third brother's funeral. But then they stop to drink and climb a tree. My God, that was hilarious. Um, So, you know, Atara, I think you have a favorite too, right? So,
0: I like the story about uh, Eight-Fingered Eddie and Mm -hmm. and his fiancée Curly. And how they set up a bar together, <laughs> because I was like, "Oh, okay, fine." You know, the, the, there's a bare eight-fingered Eddie, but I didn't know that this is an actual. This is based on an actual person who is, you know, as you said, I think one of Goa's first hippies. So that that was that was really hippies. really That was a fun one.
2: <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Those, those are yeah. That's also my favorite. Yeah. So this is the the one that you're talking about. Tara is uh, the curly, the curly shack, shack, right? Yeah. Ridley, Ridley shack. shack. Ridley yeah. Shack. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so so all of these elements like Ridley Shack is basically the turtle. The Ridley turtles is a, there's a nesting ground on Morjim Beach where it's one of the few nesting grounds in the world for these uh, now endangered Ridley turtles. So that allowed me to kind of you know touch on that and as well as, as well as the beach shack culture and the fact that sometimes uh, goan falls in love with a foreigner. You know, so that story has that nice teenage romantic angle to it. And uh, Michelle, the one that you liked is basically a cut. Right, so the yes. company word is "koot." Yeah.
0: Oh, uh, sorry and, about yeah.
2: that. <laughs> no, no, that's fine. So we're all learning something new, right? Yeah. So "koot" is coot is basically. So that's that's a person, slightly personal story because my uncle. There are three of them, okay, and as all Goans do, they love to drink, uh, <laughs> and uh, and so the elder the eldest brother has passed away. So so and these two brothers are now there. They are they are Goans by heart. They sing, they dance. Uh, they are, They live, you know, the the typical Goan style. They're very happy with life. Uh, so so that that chap, that short story was a little bit of a personal angle that i kind of brought in of course they never did climb a coconut tree and they never did drink on the way to the funeral <laughs> but i kind of imagined that if they were in goa and this would have happened they probably would have done that
1: so one thing that is really obvious is obviously the language right konkani is a very big part of goan culture and what we loved is you know you had a list of famous konkani proverbs and i if i can mention my favorite it's you know aplo koito hatar boslear Nala That is like, if a blade cuts your hand, do not blame the coconut. I really liked that. And I wanted to ask you, so what's your favorite proverb? And how do you think these proverbs will help readers like who want to really understand Govan culture?
2: Yesterday, I was listening to this podcast by Lex Friedman, okay, who, whose podcast I listened to. And he talked about, he was talking to someone and that, I, don't, I can't remember the person he was talking to, but that person said that words, okay, or ideas can can literally, literally change a person's brain. Like it can literally change the physical neuron structure of a person's brain. And he gave the example of the phrase "I think, therefore I am." Okay, and now millions of us use that phrase, right? And 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 we kind of live by that, or it has affected us billions of people, probably, right? So proverbs are kind of like these uh, uh, these idea viruses, right? Where once that idea virus kind of installs itself like a software into your brain it's not a virus let's just say it's a great app okay so it's an idea app uh, which installs itself into your brain that's what a proverb does and so some of these like all cultures even goa has its fair share of proverbs and you know wise uh, witty sayings Uh, and i think that's what i wanted to do where i wanted to showcase some of these brilliant proverbs that exist in the konkani goan culture and how they are uh, rooted in in the way of life right my favorite proverb is aiz maka falatuka okay which basically means uh, me today you tomorrow and I like the way it sounds you know aiz maka falatuka which basically means me today you tomorrow and I'll tell you a little bit of history about it so this this proverb is basically engraved on the ark at St. Thomas Church in this beautiful village called Aldona which is in the north of Goa so if you go to that village and you go to the cemetery, the graveyard part of the village of the church. Sorry, you will see the 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 words "eyes maka falatuka So it's very tongue in cheek. It basically means "me today," which is "me today, I'm dead today, I'm in my grave." But hey, you tomorrow. So you know, don't think too much of yourself. So, so, so it's basically reminding people like your, to just like your turn is coming up. <laughs> yeah, yeah, your turn. So whatever, whatever is happening to you, whether it's good or bad, you know, me today. So but you tomorrow. You know, so all of us will kind of, you know, everyone has their turn or so to speak. So that's a really good uh, proverb, I thought, you know. And yeah, that's probably one of my favorites.
0: I love all of these explanations that you're doing because I love history. So for people like me or for people, you know, after reading your book or after listening to this and they want to do a deep dive and they want to find out more about Goan history. You know, what are some of the books that they can access? What, what, what are some of the kind of the research that they can do?
2: Well, shamelessly I would say that obviously my book would be the the number of book that should <laughs> yeah. should read. And I'm not just saying that, but honestly, I think like I've I've really tried to kind of, you know, layer it as no other book has probably been layered. You know, like you mentioned with all the uh, the fiction part, the nonfiction interviews with people like Remo Fernandez, who's a singer, Sonia Shirsat. I don't know if you guys have heard of her, she's also a brilliant Fado singer from Goa. Uh, then the cartoonist, who's uh, who's one of the living renowned cartoonists on Goa, called Alexis, who lives in Shule. Uh So that layer is there. Then there's the doodles, there's the short stories, there's recipes. So that's why I think that that Susigad is probably one of the I I wouldn't say best, but I mean you know it's it's a really good book that one should pick up if everyone, anyone is interested in Goa. And other than uh, this one. Uh, Okay, Frank Semoz was the uh, the advertising professional. I don't know if he's alive as yet right now. But I don't think he is. Uh, but his the name of his book is On Goa, and it's again a very personal journey of him uh, moving to Goa from Bombay and uh, you know setting up his home over there. So building his home, the entire book is just about that. Okay, then there is a uh, the uh, book by. Uh, Margaret Mascarenas, if I'm not mistaken, that's a very, very deep dive into the history and hardcore history and the colonial history of Goa, you know, so that's for someone who's really going to wants to go hardcore on it. Uh, then there is a, a book, uh, well, Wendell Roderick's actually had a really nice book last year, or not last year, I think 2017. Okay, I don't know if you guys have heard of it. It's called Posque. It's a fiction
0: no, no, book. No,
2: no, not heard of that. Yes. Yeah, what is it about? Yeah. Yes. So posque posque means adopted, okay? Uh, and uh, the book is a fiction book about these. So 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 a lot of children, especially during the Portuguese uh, era, or probably towards the end of it, uh, a lot of them had uh, children out of wedlock, right? And these children uh were then uh kept in the home. Okay, so maybe the father kind of had a dalliance with somebody else who was not his wife obviously. Uh maybe the the help or the maid or or something like that, probably a Portuguese father or you know, having it on with, with a with a Goan lady. But then uh, he wasn't married to her, but he adopted the child. And that child was kept in the home uh but treated as a step kind of uh child, right? And the Goan word for that is posque. So these poske children were kind of not really treated well. Uh so the book kind of delves into that. It's a beautiful book. I mean, I totally recommend it. I, I kind of stumbled upon it just about two months back. And Wendell Roderick's beautiful writer. I mean, I didn't even know that part of him. Uh, but it's a beautiful book. It's it's uh, it's got magic realism to it and all of that. Uh then uh, I think anybody who wants to uh you know learn more about Goa should pick up any of Mario Miranda's books. So all his illustrated books, uh, you know, that's that's they are funny, they are uh, charming. The, the illustrations bring out Goa that, that uh, you know, nobody else can. Then there is the books by Alexis, who I mentioned, the cartoonist who's featured in Susegad. Uh, so he's got a bunch of books uh, where uh, he's illustrated everything from the theater, theater is the theater art form of Goa, to various other subjects.
0: While you were speaking, wrote down all these names. So I'm definitely going to check those out because I was really looking, you know, for uh, great recommendations about uh, Goans and Goa history. So thank you. And thanks for your
1: book as well. <laughs> yeah. You know, we were going to ask you, Clyde, so you know, what is the current state of Goan literature? You know, there are a lot of, uh, you know, writers in Goa who are writing and, and one famous writer, you know, as we all know, is Damodar mauzo right? He's, he's a very famous mm-hmm. writer who's mm-hmm. won the Sahitya Academy. But Apart from that, so, you know, who are the writers who are writing right now? And what do you think about, uh, you know, writing in the Goan sphere? You, uh, we uh, spoke to Jessica Filero. So she's another Goan yes, writer who yes. did, uh, you know, appear at a retreat. We read her book. We really liked her writing. So It's a collection of ghost stories in Goa. And it's
0: basically, yeah, it takes yeah. one family and it's interconnected.
2: Wow. Okay. I think I should pick that up. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, it was really
2: good. Yeah. Yeah. So I think, yeah, I think, see, obviously, uh, I, if I'm not mistaken, another thing that I found out is that the first printing press, maybe in India, I think, if I'm not mistaken, I could be wrong, uh, was, was, uh, was in Goa. And there is, a, there is a publishing house in Goa called, uh, it's called 1556, if I'm not mistaken. Okay. Which is, that was the year that the first printing press was, uh, started in India. And that, that was in Goa was brought down probably by the british okay so there is a publishing house in goa called 1556 i think it's run by frederick Narona, and uh, he publishes a lot of goan writers and a lot of goan uh, authors so i think for people who are interested in you know in uh, goan writing they should definitely check out so that's i think i think he should kind of be lauded for no, that. That,
1: that that sounds very exciting yeah. yeah, a lot of writers actually, you know, they are moving to Goa to, to adopt yes. this Sushigat lifestyle because, you know, you do need a lot of peace. Uh, you know, you do need a lot of, uh, mm. I'll say that kind of a zone in which, you know, where you're writing. And yeah. I think, and I think Goa is that hub. And we do hope that a lot of writers find that space, you know, and it doesn't mm. matter, I mean, if they are in Goa or not, but as your book says, we hope that they do adopt this Sushigat lifestyle no matter where they are. We do our retreat in Goa. So we we actually, wow. over the last few years, we've
0: been working with, you know, many more uh, writers who moved there. So that's interesting.
1: And so we hope that, you know, that arts and culture space uh, keeps growing there. Lovely. Uh, Clyde, like coming back to your book and about its fascinating experimental structure. Another thing that we loved about it is that there are photographs and so you know and the most beautiful one for me was you know the sunset over Nehru river i'm curious whether you know you took these photos just to put them in the book or do you love or uh, taking photographs in general and you know are they are they like a collection that you have collected over the years uh yes so
2: so it's both basically so yeah i do like taking photographs uh and some of them are from my collection from over the years the Nehru one is definitely mine so i stay close to uh, close to the Nehru bridge that's basically in kandulam Uh, so one part of Kandalam is where you go to the beach and the other part is where you take a shortcut to Panjim. That's the Nerul bridge. And I pass it very regularly. And I always kind of, there's a restaurant below Nerul bridge called, now it's called the Lazy Goose. Uh, okay. Uh, it's, it's, it's by the river. And that's one of my favorite uh, restaurants. Now it's very uppity and, you know, upmarket, which is also nice. Uh, But before, many years ago, like 10 years ago, it used to be called Amigos. And it was run by, I think, just this family, this auntie who would take one hour to cook, (laughs) you know. And uh, so that's, that's I took that uh, sunset photograph over there. Where the, the, you know, the boats are kind of just gently flowing by under the bridge and the sun is setting and you can see the mangroves and the Sinkeri hills in the background, beyond that, which is the Kanduli beach, of course. So that was that. That's a very nice photo. So I, I quite like that. It was, it's a, it's a very personal, uh, it brings back a lot of memories for me, that photograph.
0: Did you uh, photograph them, you know, the rest of them for the book or were they part of your collection?
2: Some of them were uh, part of my collection, but I think some of them uh, I went specifically to Goa. I made a trip uh, sometime last year specifically to take some photographs. Wow. So, yeah. So, it's a combination of both.
0: Yeah. So, you know, Clyde, we spoke a lot about uh, Goan literature and all of these things, but, uh, you know, uh, coming to books, you know, which uh, are beyond going literature, what are your favorite books? What kinds of things do you generally read? Oh,
2: my God. Okay, so, uh, wow, what do I read? I kind of try and read uh, everything. Um, so, like, you know, I mean, this is a really difficult question because some people always ask, you you know, like, what is, what is your favorite genre? And I kind of struggle with that, not only in, in terms of books, but in terms of, let's say, even movies or things that we watch. And all of us kind of struggle with that because... Uh, I think my genre would be good, <laughs> good content. You know, they should have a genre called good content. So because cause none of us really know what we kind of like uh, and we read everything. So I like a lot of sci-fi. The book that I keep going back to, the movie that I keep going back to is Jurassic Park. So I can read Michael Crichton's Jurassic Park. Oh, like really? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Why is that? I don't know. I I, I literally don't know but but it's uh, but it's just great and i just like uh, reading that over and over again okay or i'll read the martian right which is by andy ware right uh, the famous Matt dean yes. movie right uh, so uh, i like that book and i can keep reading that then there's this book on mountain climbing called uh, into thin air i don't know if you all seen the movie the movie was called everest but the book uh, by john Krakauer, i think his name is uh, he, uh, wrote this book called Into Thin Air and it's about this expedition to the Mount Everest and how, uh, most of the expedition people end up dying. You know, so, uh, that's another book that I, uh, that I like. Uh, so these are my, some of my, some of, then I, of course I like Salman Rushdie, but some of the older stuff like Harun and the Sea of Stories, uh, that's one of my favorite books. Uh, I like, uh, Ruskin Bond. So I've been a new fan of Ruskin Bond, especially since I was writing the book, because again, he describes the idyllic nature, uh, the mountains, uh, you know, the hilly area so well, and it's so beautiful. <laughs> it again, just
1: yeah, transport you. Another yeah. zone that writers love to go to, you know, that's like a, a lot of writers have told us that, like, <laughs> oh, wish we could live in <laughs> Ruskin Bond's world. <laughs> yeah.
2: Yeah, Dal. that's another author that I love, absolutely love. So, yeah.
1: Wow, that's, that's a lot of recommendations. <laughs> yeah, and Tara and nah, I always, you know, we keep, uh, we keep adding it to our TBR, so. You know, uh, definitely, and in some books, you know, I I haven't heard of because, as you said, you know, some are very genre specific, and only if you are, uh, you know, avid readers of specific genres, you know them. But yes, I'm so glad that you told us uh, about them. So, coming back to your book, uh, Clyde, you know, one of the most interesting sections of the book is actually about fishing. Uh, you know, and I I could relate because you know, uh, one of my most, I would say, um, entertaining memories from my childhood is when it, when I used to go fishing uh, with my family, and because it's it's you know, it's so difficult, right? So So because when you just go to buy fish in the market, it's pretty easy. But when you actually go fishing, my God, it's, it's, I would say it's thrilling, it's frustrating. And as you said in your book, how fishing can promote good health. So I was curious, you know, what about readers who are vegetarians or vegans, Clyde? Like, how do you think they will perceive that in your book?
2: Wow. Okay. (laughs) Uh, So the way that I would say the approach to fishing would be that it's not about fishing but it's about, uh, patience, you know? So, uh, that's what, uh, I think they, that the, the reader needs to focus on, uh, whether he's a vegetarian or a, or a vegan. So again, like I, when I, when I see these people fishing at, at Nerul, you know, under the river, and I spoke to one guy who was fishing and I asked him, you know, like, what, have you, what what are you doing? I mean, like, and for how long have you been here? So he told me that he's been coming there since a teenager. Okay, since he was like a teen, he would skip school or bunk school and he would come under that bridge, would come with his fishing rod in hand. Sometimes it was just a twig with some nylon uh, string attached to it and maybe a worm or whatever that he had, whatever bait he had. Uh, And and I asked him, how long today? How long have you been here? And he said, I've been here for about four hours. I said, have you caught anything? He said, no, not, you know, in in Konkani. And I said, so uh, are you hoping to catch anything? He's like, maybe, maybe not. But he was so chilled out about the entire thing. Okay, is that I realize that that well, there are two ways of looking at it. One is that maybe he's a bum, okay, <laughs> and the other part is that it's just something that he has just found uh, peace, very made peace. Yeah, with. very <laughs> meditative. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's it's so meditative for him, right? That that the entire thing is not about fishing; it's about sitting still. It's about uh, feeling the you know, like I was talking to him. I, I actually stood there and I just st- spoke to him and I asked him. You know, they tried to get into his head. And he said that, you know, he's kind of, he kind of feels the wind. So he knows that as per the wind, the fish will also kind of react to the wind or the he can feel the current of the water tugging his little bait, you know, and then he knows what's happening. So it's about, again, it's about that awareness. So I think maybe that spills over into his life as well, where he's more aware of everything around him, whether it's the wind or the water, you know, or the nature, the setting sun, the rising sun. So I think that fishing, even for people who may be vegetarian or vegans, they could probably look at it from that angle, you know, and not really uh, from the eating. Uh, you
0: know, <laughs> yeah. Of it. How do you think Goa has changed during the pandemic? You know, has tourism in Goa changed, and how can what can we do to promote better tourism, more sustainable tourism?
2: Yeah. Yeah. So this is a great question, Tara. So uh, I think. Well, firstly, Goa seems to have been blessed or, or you know, cross fingers, touch wood. But, but funnily, it was one of the first states to open up, right? And I think it kind of opened after Diwali. And because uh, Goa is so dependent on tourism, especially for the livelihood of many, many, many uh, of its uh, residents, but the negative aspect of that is uh, rash tourism and development. And sustainable tourism again is a, is a difficult concept because uh, you know how do you kind of you know one thing is we kind of just make peace with with you know this might sound a bit harsh, but we just we just make peace with the fact that there might not be something like sustainable tourism because it's difficult to kind of control people, especially in a democracy right? Uh, There are only so many kind of restrictions that you can put on, on how someone behaves and how someone uh, ruthlessly thrashes a place, right? That's the, that's the, the, that's the con of living in a democratic society, right? Mm -hmm. The other part is kind of increasing, again, going back to the the buzzword that I've been using is increasing awareness and consciousness. And uh, whether that's through books or whether that's through Instagram pages, and there are lots of Instagram pages on uh all the Instagram pages on Goa, the tourism-based ones, are always very conscious and you'll always find their posts ending with, you know, don't thrash the beach, take care of the beach, don't leave your uh, rubbish behind, be more conscious. So I think that's something that you will find in a lot of Goan uh, influencers and all that. They are also very mindful about the cleanliness the part of it, the eco part of it, the sustainable part of it. Maybe books like mine and other books and other people who are promoting tourism uh, in Goa can kind of you know tell people to be a little more conscious about about how they go about things. And uh, at a at a policy level, I think the government in Goa, the tourism board in Goa, they need to kind of really set the policies, whether it's the coastal regulation zone or whether it's uh, preserving the Mole uh, National Park in Goa right, which uh, currently is under a lot of, uh, uh, you know, debate uh, with, you know, a railway line being passed through it. So those are the things that I think are difficult, really, really difficult, complex issues. But uh, I think overall, if uh, we kind of fall in love with a place, if you really, really love a place, then you'll kind of, first step is to, to fall in love with it and then to kind of, you know, take care of it. So <laughs> if you fall in love yeah. with Goa, hopefully everyone from politicians to Tourists will take care of it.
1: Yeah, and and I think we also you know I mean whoever decides to go to Goa can you know I mean just valuing the place, uh, you mm-hmm. know in for like I would say respecting the place is is the first. Yeah, yeah.
2: yeah there are two, there are two phrases. There are two phrases that I just like to kind of you know say which 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 can go to all the listeners over here. It's the two Goan phrases which I kind of love. Oh, the first one is Dev Bore which is God bless you. Okay, and the second phrase is Mog Asuni. Mogasuni, which basically means uh, love, okay? Or uh, my love to you. So I think those are the two good go phrases <laughs> that you know, yes. all uh, tourists and residents can...
1: Actually, say. even we, actually, in Mangaloreans I've noticed that De Karo is a very common uh, thing, I think, among Catholics. So this brings us to our last fun round, Clyde. Uh, it's called rapid-fire round, okay? Ooh, okay. All right, <laughs> so I'll begin. Feni or beer? Feni. Alright.
0: Eating with hands or cutlery?
2: Oh definitely hands. Hands down. Hands.
0: <laughs> Beach or bar? Beach. Okay, so this is kind of obvious, but Mumbai or Goa?
2: Mumbai. <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> no, no, I love I love Mumbai too, 'cause but but yeah, do,
0: yeah yeah, yeah. yeah I, I like
2: both places, yeah. Awesome. But you know, Goa Goa edges out, I guess. <laughs>
0: Wow. This was so insightful. I think I, you know, I just, it's shown me Goa with new eyes and I'm sure it's shown all our listeners, uh, you know, a new side of Goa too.
1: Yeah. Thank you. Thank you for that, client. We enjoyed ourselves and we loved, uh, you know, your anecdotes. I think they're going to stay with us way longer. Definitely when people pick up your book, they will know why. I so needed that conversation now, Tara. It was so soothing and informative at the same time. Yeah, really. We really
0: did need it. I especially love the recommendations of Goan Books. And I've written them down. And I'm definitely going to pick some up. Yeah, and I'm going to buy Bibinka because my
1: mouth <laughs> is watering already. Hopefully, Michelle, go our trip soon. <laughs> <laughs> yep, really. I, I just, I can't wait to go out. Yeah, those, you know? maybe we do our retreat in Goa next year. Let's see. Yeah, we hope you enjoyed this episode as much as we did. And you know, all of you writers out there, if you've written a book and you're looking for constructive criticism, we offer in-depth feedback through our editorial services. So do DM us at Bound India or reach out to us at ConnectedBoundIndia.com. We would love to hear from yeah, you. Yeah,
0: can't wait to work together. And moving on to our upcoming episode... Have you heard of the term magical realism memoir? So yes, catch us next week. We are going to be speaking to author Rituparna Chatterjee, who is the author of
1: the memoir, The Water Phoenix. Yeah, and the book actually uses magical realism elements to make the story come alive. And actually that makes the story so memorable. Like it's unlike any other memoir I've read. Unlike, yes, but true. (laughs) (laughs) yeah and the author you know on a serious note the author actually addresses uh, child abuse in the memoir so do exercise caution when you read it but please do read it because this book gave her the courage and to actually speak about such difficult topics
0: yeah and it's and it's about so much more it's really about a coming-of-age story um, and of course the magical realism elements so hope to see you next time and keep reading